Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. This is episode 236. Where does it fall on the sin scale? As I have been mentally and emotionally preparing for today's podcast, I've been thinking a lot about the scales that we have in our minds. And because I deal with grief each and every day of my life, because of my profession, I work in hospice. And I started thinking about sin, which is our topic of today, and how we have this imaginary, because it's not biblical, scale of sins. Well, this one is much worse than this one, that kind of thing. But it also happens with grief. So when each of us hears that there's been a death, let's talk about specific death grief, we, no matter how much we know or we think we know the person who is experiencing the loss, we may very well set up a scale in our mind as to how severe this person's grief will be and or, quote, should be. I've used this example before in training, but it was such a great example to me back many years ago. So anytime you hear that someone has had a child die, that automatically puts that higher on most persons' grief scale. And understandably so. There's literally a book written that's called The Worst Loss. And it's about the death of a child, whether that child was a, an infant or whether that child was 75. And there's reasons why it's an especially complicated loss. But I was talking to someone many years ago and they were talking about the death of their son versus the grief that they had regarding the death of their mother. And as they were sharing the stories, most people, probably 99.9%, if they had been asked before this conversation to rate the probable grief of having a mother die versus having a son die, Almost everyone, if not everyone, would have rated the death of the child to be the one that would bring about the strongest of grief responses. But this person explained to me that that was not the case. And there were specific factors as to why. But it really caused me to think about, in my own mind, the preconceptions that I have. And even though I've now been in the grief industry for about 20 years, I can't always predict. Maybe I'm a better prognosticator than some, but I can't always predict how severe someone's grief will be because I do not know the relationship not to the level that I would need to know. I do not necessarily know personalities. I do not know 
possibly the losses that this person has experienced before. There's a whole lot of factors, in other words, that because I do not know that, I can't adequately judge how this person's grief reaction will be. And how does that translate to our topic of the day? Well, the whole idea of sin, something we will all struggle with until we see Jesus, we have this scale in our minds, and again, it's different in different people. But I have a feeling that in the majority of us, we would consider the big sins to be murder, adultery, those would be really high on that scale. Whereas gluttony would probably be really low, right? Maybe even greed would be really low. Maybe even coveting would be really low. And yet, sin is our human attempt to meet our needs or our wants or our desires in a way that is against what God knows to be what is our best. And that's what we see today with King David. We're going to do something a little bit different, and we are blessed today to have two accounts of the same story, but it's written from slightly different perspectives and one, the second one, shed so much more light onto the source of the temptation. And that's the reason that I definitely want to read it because if you just read 2 Samuel 24 and you read the beginning, you're going to have a temptation to question the character of God because it appears that God caused David to sin and that does not fit with the character of God and we're not blessed in every instance by any stretch of the imagination to have the opportunity for scripture to interpret scripture. And that's a phrase that gets used quite a bit. In the gospel, sometimes we have that advantage where you've got, especially the synoptic gospels, the three that see together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And sometimes you can learn more about the story as you read all three accounts or two accounts. You can understand a little bit more of what was going on. And this is one of those times where you've got 2 Samuel, which was most likely written by Samuel. We don't know who finished this part out, but because Samuel has been gone for a while, uh, but the writer of 2 Samuel, which was a full book of Samuel, versus the writer of the books of Chronicles, 1 and 2 Chronicles, which was written much later and from a different type of perspective of the looking back and, and the books of Chronicles is very focused on the kingship of David and in the divided kingdom 
nearly always leans toward giving a better picture of how David's lineage, which was the which were the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so we're going to read both of them, finishing it with uh, with First Chronicles. And then we're going to talk about this, this scale. So we think about the life of King David, and when you think about the sin that he has committed, more than likely the first one that you think about for many people is his adulterous interaction with Bathsheba. Again, I think there's more to that when it comes to the sin factor than just the act of adultery, which obviously was wrong on so many levels. But I think he violated the power and influence that he was given. So that, that adds a whole new level to that. Then he also committed murder because he put out a hit. Let's use the modern day verbiage, put out a hit on Uriah, her husband, in order to try to cover up his crime. So we know that he's no stranger to sin. And when you hear about today's account, you may be tempted in your mind to go, I don't get why this was such a big deal. Because as we're going to see next week, we're going to see that God gave very, very, very strong consequences for what David does this time. And that's one of the reasons I decided we're only going to read 1 through 10 out of 2 Samuel 24. We're going to save the other part and our parts. There's like two more parts to the story. And even though this is definitely not my favorite story in Scripture, because it it challenges me, especially from the Second Samuel version. I think there's I think there's a whole lot we can learn about this. And I'm trusting that the Lord can change our, our lives. If we've got some what we think are quote little sin that we're holding on to. I pray that God will convict us even now to realize that sin is sin. And it only honors the evil one and in no way honors the Lord. So, 2 Samuel 24, 1 through 10, and then 1 Chronicles. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. So that's the phrase that can cause you, without seeing the further explanation in 1 Chronicles, can really cause you to go, Whoa, 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 whoa. When does God cause David or anybody to sin? But we learn more in the other parts. So just hang on there. Here we go. 
So the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my lord the king, do you want to do this? But the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. First they crossed the Jordan and camped at Aaror, south of the town in the valley in the direction of Gad, and then they went on to Jazer, then to Gilead in the land of Tatimhadshi, and to Danshan and around to Sidon. Then they came to the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Finally, they went south to Judah as far as Beersheba. Having gone through the entire land for nine months and 20 days, they returned to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the people to the king. There were 800,000 capable warriors in Israel who could handle a sword and 500,000 in Judah. And here is our focal verse, one of our focal verses out of this. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Take that. Take note of that. I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. And now we're going to look at the account in First Chronicles, which can look like one is right and one is wrong. But I think you take the two together and you can see what has happened. So let's start this out. First Chronicles 21. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north and bring me a report so I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my Lord the king, do you want to do this? Are there not all are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? A little bit different take there. But the king insisted that they take the census, so Joab traveled throughout all Israel to count the people. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Hey, they saved me from having to say those crazy names this time. I like this version better and reported the number of people to David. There were 1,100,000 warriors in all Israel who could handle a sword and 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had, had made him do. God was very displeased with the census and he punished Israel for it. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt for doing this foolish thing. And so, like, we look at these accounts, and I would think that, just like with me, the first thing that jumps out at you is, okay, who tempted David? Was it God or was it Satan? And I propose that God used Satan to bring about what, the destruction that he knew was needed to come to Israel to get them focused in the right direction. I've been teaching in the divided kingdom for so long that teaching from this podcast 
during the golden years of David just seemed like such a foreign event. Uh, this right here, this seems more like the divided kingdom than it does King David because over and over again, the Israelites would go astray and God would use enemies, even the wicked Babylonians, as I'm teaching through Habakkuk. Habakkuk's just been told that God's going to use the very, very wicked Babylonians to bring about his punishment for the tribe of Judah. And Habakkuk can't, he just can't believe that could be possible. Well, here God is using Satan as part of his plan to get David's attention as well as the people of Israel. So that's what I'm seeing. And I would love for you to write me encouraging others and loving Jesus at gmail.com. If you've got another insight on that, but the part that I really want us to focus on has to do with verse 10 in second Chronicles 24 and verse verses seven and eight in, uh, First Chronicles 21. As I said, we have this version of a sin scale in our mind. And when you read about taking of a census on your sin scale in your mind, this probably does not in any way, shape, or form compare to Adultery, abuse of power, and murder for hire. And yet, David says he has sinned greatly. So I'm going to read just a little bit from one of my favorite commentaries. If you've been listening to this podcast anytime. You've heard me mention uh, Warren Wearsby, who went to be with Jesus a year or so ago. And he has commentaries on every book uh, in the Bible. And this is out of his Old Testament one. And so many times he just helps me to see things. Number one, he helps me to see the context in ways that I may not have noticed before. And number two... He puts things in perspective. And so here is his take on this idea of David saying, I have sinned greatly. And as I'm looking, so I have the NLT, which I was reading from. Again, it's a phrase by phrase translation. And on the other side of my page, I also have the ESV, which is a word for word translation. And both of them say that David said, I have sinned greatly. So here we go. Realizing that he had been foolish in pursuing the project, David confessed his sin and sought the Lord's face. At least six times in scripture, we find David confessing, I have sinned. Uh, some of those were specifically about his relationship with Bathsheba and what he did to Uriah. And you see that in Second Samuel. You see it in uh, the book of Psalms. And here it says, when he confessed his sins of adultery and murder, David said, I have sinned. But when he confessed his sin of numbering the people, 
He said, I have sinned greatly. Most of us would consider his sins relating to Bathsheba far worse than the sin of numbering the people and far more foolish. But David saw the enormity of what he had done. David's sins with Bathsheba took the lives of four of David's sons, the baby, Amnon, Absalom, and Anijah, plus the life of Uriah. But after the census, God sent a plague. This is what we're going to see next week. God sent a plague that took the lives of 70,000 people. The Lord must have agreed with David that he had indeed sinned greatly. David's sin with Bathsheba was a sin of the flesh, a yielding to lust after an afternoon of laziness. But the census was a sin of the spirit, a willful act of rebellion against God. It was motivated by pride, and pride is number one on the list of sins that God hates. Check out Proverbs 6, 16-17. Pride is the ground in which all the other sins grow, wrote William Barclay, and the parent from which all other sins come. I could read further, but I just want to stop there and and let that sink in. What was the primary root of David's census order? It was pride. And one of the things that really takes me back every time that I've read this is how long David wasted, and I mean wasted, the military prowess of Joab, the commander of his army, and all the other commanders for months upon months upon months they were out, not preparing for battle, not doing anything that accomplished a good thing. No, instead they were out helping David feed his pride as to how many warriors were available. He had, if you read on in that commentary, and if you think on when when it came to David and Bathsheba this was a short term really really bad sin not a question about that like it hurt so many people but it was a sin of like a sin of passion where he was just worn out by this lust in his heart and this power that he had. And then he panics and he has Uriah killed. But with this, how many months does he have to be in this sinful state of pride? Well, we know he's got to have been there for at least nine months and 20 days, because that's how long Joab and the commanders were out there trying to get all this information for him. This is not a short-term, passion-fueled, 
I lost my head kind of moment. This is a, I'm living in a state of pride for months, well, for almost a year. And you could bet that it probably was before then. And David, again, I compliment David as I have before. When God's spirit grabbed hold of his heart and God chose to allow him to sit in this. You know, David, my guess is David's not going to the Lord for guidance. He's got, he's, he's on top of the world. Like they've taken out most of their enemies and any other didn't really matter at that time. And he's just, he's self-sufficient. And so he didn't know, quote unquote, the sin that lurked inside of him. But when God allows it to flesh itself out, and almost a year later, similar to the time period of when Nathan came and confronted David after Bathsheba's pregnancy had come about and stayed about, David agrees with God that he has sinned greatly. And we're going to see a different David in the next two weeks of our lessons. We're going to see not the prideful king, but we're going to see the humble king who understands who truly is on the throne. But this whole idea of which sin is, is greater and our version of sin scales. Pride. I agree with William Barclay there. I believe pride is the root of all. Because when we have a faulty opinion of ourself, and pride does not always come out in braggadociousness, Sometimes it comes out in woe is me. But pride is a focus on ourselves that is beyond a healthy focus. And how do we ever address that? James 1, 14 through 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is serious stuff. And even though the Lord does not deal with us as he did with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament where he struck them dead because of their greed and their lying, that does not mean that when we sin against the Lord that it is not serious. And could it be that we are walking around just like King David, thinking all is well, and yet we are harboring the sin of pride, sin of lust, the sin of idolatry, and the like in our hearts 
And it's keeping us from being all God has created us to be. So as you have heard me ask you many, many times, I don't know how many times, Psalm 139, 23 through 24 has been in our weekly assignment feature. But those words penned by who? King David are so appropriate to pray so that you and I both know what truly is in our heart. Because those verses are asking God to expose what is in our hearts and to show us anything in our hearts that offends Him and to lead us in the path for to everlasting life. I remember praying that on Christmas Day many, many years ago, like the 90s, I think it was. And because I knew something wasn't right, something was unsettled in my spirit, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I prayed those verses and I have it written in my old Bible right beside it because God answered and he showed me something, a relational issue that needed to be addressed. And when it was addressed, I was, I was where I needed to be again. So may we learn from this very odd story about a census that what may appear to us to not be that bad on the sin scale could be that we are sinning greatly against the Lord. And as I pray 1 Psalm 39, 23 through 24 over us all, I pray that you would join me. Dear God, I thank you for the story of David. This, You know that this has been working me over for the last week or so, just trying to figure out what you wanted to say. And I'm so thankful that you gifted me with, with the lesson that you have. Dear Father, only you know how much I love these verses. The verses in Psalm 139, the entire text of Psalm 139, but especially these two verses. And dear God, I pray that you would search each of us and know our hearts. Dear God, that you would test us and know our anxious thoughts, that you would point out anything in us that offends you and lead each of us along the path of everlasting life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please feel free to reach out to me for prayer requests, praise reports, or just questions, comments. Would love to hear from you, encouraging others and loving Jesus at gmail.com. You can reach out through the Facebook page, Twitter, and um, Instagram. All of those are options. You can get all of the podcasts, all 236. That just blows my mind. All 236 by scanning the QR code at the bottom of the show notes. All the resources are listed below. Uh, the Wearsby commentary that I read out of earlier. Just thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this is still free for you to listen to. and It's free for you to share with others. And I have no doubt you have at least one person in your life who could benefit from this walk through this kind of obscure passage in God's word. Obscure, but a passage that could change lives 
if we all remembered just how devastating, not only to ourselves, but to others, a prideful attitude can be. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day. <music>